This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, who could have seen it coming? Heartbreak for England in a World Cup semi-final. World's greatest soccer organisation, the USA, saw off Phil Neville's team, but were England unlucky? A prestigious panel assessed that game and its dull sister-in-law, the Netherlands, limping past Sweden. We reflect on England's tournament as a whole, where they go from here and whether the women's game is in better shape now than it was a month ago. Plus, after all that, there's still some time for our guests to share the strangest football commentary they've ever heard. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined, as has become traditional for this tournament by the offside rules. Kate Borsay, how are you, Kate? Good, thanks. But I I actually ran in this morning. You ran in? Well, I ran in part of the way to catch a train and a fly got stuck up my nose. Oh, no. It's nearly awful, but I think it's come out now. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it'll come out during the recording. Yeah, updates as we go. (laughs) The voice you can hear, an AFC Telegraph debut for our women's editor, Claire Cohen. How are you, Claire? Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to make my debut. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Completing our lineup today. It's only Adam Hurry off the internet. How are you, Adam? I'm all right. I've had a much less dramatic uh, journey from my desk about 20 yards away. <laughs> no insects were <laughs> harmed in Adam Hurry's journey to the audio recording facility. Let's start by reopening the wound that is England. Um, obviously out of the, the tournament to all intents and purposes, although they still have a game to play. Uh, you work that one out, I'm sure you can. Um, <laughs> defeat to USA, expected probably just about, but felt like a fairly harsh result uh, in some ways. Phil Neville's tactics have been questioned a little bit in some quarters, Kate. Is there anything he could have done differently? I think he realised that trying to play Nikita Paris centrally wasn't going to work. And he made that change. Frank Kirby came on in the second half. And that's when it really started to look decent for England. We needed that width. width. We were playing really narrow, weren't we, for quite a lot of that. I thought the team did well, but I thought Phil was... Quick to correct himself. I think it was a shame perhaps we didn't see that because he changed to pretty much a 4 4 2 or a 4 4 1 1. And that change, I think, was a lot of the undoing. However, the team dealt with it well. It didn't define the performance. It was just one of those things that you could look back and say, perhaps I would have tweaked that. Um, 
I think England gave it everything, and they really did give it everything, and it and 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 it made it. You know, above all else, it was a great game of football to watch. And you know what? Despite everything else, that's the really important thing. The number of people that have come up to me, the, all, all the mums in the playground that have come up to me and gone, "Oh my God, Kate, it was so heartbreaking, wasn't it?" These are mums who never talk about football. And that's the really ace thing about it, is that it was a great game. What did you make of it, Claire? Heartbroken? I am heartbroken. Oh, no. I, I know, I know. We're re- reopening that wound. I agree it was a great game. Um, I did think maybe we looked a little bit intimidated. And I think Phil Neville maybe should have prepared the team a little bit better for that. Um, it was only to be expected against the USA. But like you, I've had, I mean, as women's editor, I've had so many conversations with women who would never normally watch football. Um, and in the, I was in the pub watching it, as I expect so many of us were. Um, and the reaction when we scored both yes. our initial goal and the unfortunate disallowed goal was incredible. And I'm not embarrassed to say my eyes did well up because I just didn't yes. think that we would get that reaction for women's football. You know, I've been on the women's desk here at the Telegraph since 2014. So we covered the previous World Cup in Canada in 2015. And we had a hard time getting people interested, really. Yeah, same on the sports desk. Yeah, I'm sure. It was nowhere near as uh, successful as this World Cup's been for us. You know, we did a handful of articles. They didn't do particularly well. You know, we tried our best, but this time being completely different. Well, I've been fighting you for articles, Tom. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. It's it's, been really heartening. It's got really unpleasant in the office, I've got to say. (laughs) Um, Adam, England's had their chances. The goal ruled out for offside. Extremely tight call. Where are you on the VAR thing in general? It's always very upsetting when something doesn't go the way you you want it to, but in the cold light of day with a couple of days to process it, it it was probably the right call. Uh, There are two things here. My first impression when the girl went in was that she was offside. It was that classic situation where she'd she'd advanced beyond the defensive line and when the pass was played, she moved back a bit. And I just thought, "Mm, not sure about this one. And you saw the goal go in. VAR aside, I just thought, "Mm, not sure about this, didn't celebrate it. Lovely finish. And I really hope this is a, what a wonderful way to get back into the game. But I knew as soon as it went to to the review but um this is this this tournament has been a fascinating kind of case study for VAR and and all the emotional baggage that comes with it the thing is um offside is simply offside um that there are so much sort of complaining about you know we can't worry about a player being a toenail offside well that's it this is the situation we've got to this is the bed we have made for ourselves the tv analyzing decisions pre-var to within an inch of their life this is the situation we now have um if we want to go back to a non-var situation where we accept referees decisions because they're human and they get things slightly wrong and they can't detect offside toenails then that's great but unfortunately we have var yeah it is black and white and that's the whole purpose of it did you think it was interesting adam how the var review system seemed to slowly break down during the tournament so that it was in full flow for the group stages but as we entered into the round of 16 and the quarterfinal it became almost absent I think it, I do wonder I mean again it, there's, there's a human element in the background of all this all the time and I the, the, the more fuss there is about VAR the more worried people are, are going to be as the tournament progresses about it and when the stakes get higher in the knockout stages they are going to start hesitating over it so I, I do think the process is always going to be subject to some human hesitation yeah. 
But they notably used it much less mm. as the tournament went on. And I think that there has to have been some sort of internal FIFA help memo I'm, because I'm of the reaction. Because we were seeing it so many times, every game in the group stages. I'm convinced that was the case in the World Cup last year as well. Mm. I'm sure um, the whole thing became a lot more streamlined and everyone just got a lot less uptight about certain tiny decisions. And, and I'm sure, again, that was just a FIFA thing. Let's get the game moving. There, was a, there was a lot of criticism, though, there wasn't there in, in the group stages yeah. of the referees and whether there should be male referees brought in to kind of back up the female referees, if you like. Do you think it had anything to do with that, that they felt that they shouldn't be relying on VAR so much and had to make their own decisions? I, I, I didn't have really much of a judgment about the refereeing standards. I mean, they're such, it's such a hard thing to judge as a, as a layman anyway. I don't know much about the, the technical aspects of refereeing. Mm. But um, I think the England-Cameroon game... The, the Chinese referee was was given pelters for the way that she dealt with it, but I thought she did it really well. She had you know, she, she, she kept everything very calm, and I can kind of understand the decision at the end where she she thought, "I'm not going to send someone off because I really don't want things to kick off here." So again, it's just a human. I element. do agree with that, but I do not agree with her performance. She should have started carding players as soon. I as I remember they, you saying on the podcast, soon as they played I was up. Surprised. Well, no, I think she failed to bring that situation mm. under control, and she had to backpedal for the rest of the second half. She took being pushed over with good humour. <laughs> that was bang out of order from Cameroon. But also, that shouldn't have, it shouldn't have got to that stage. Okay, she I should have that. showed yeah. her authority and, before then. And when you're running after players on the pitch to try and give them cards, you've lost control. Yes, yes. You? I totally agree. Of course, we shouldn't forget that England benefited from a VAR decision themselves with the very marginal penalty they were given against America. But what about the taker, Kate? Is Steph Horton known as someone who takes penalties? She is a dead ball specialist. She is, and there's no, there's been no negative um, or no negativity around Steph Horton's penalty taking before. She certainly took, she's certainly taken them at City. Um, Phil Neville said afterwards, and, and you'll sort of have to take these figures with a pinch of salt because this is a typical Philism, as I told my friend, because she managed to extract these these uh, figures from him. He said that the England team over six months have taken 100 to 150 penalties, so that's plucked out of thin air. That is a Philism, uh, and Steph was chosen as second choice behind Nikita Paris and Ellen White was asked about it you know why didn't you take the pen and she said look look, it was the staff's decision we all decided Mm. beforehand that well they didn't the staff decided that Steph would take the pens no one questioned it and it just wasn't a big deal of course it becomes a big deal when you miss a pen and Steph will stick her hand up and say it was a bad pen you know she didn't wrap her foot around the ball properly it was a bad pen but there's, there, there should be no analysis about whether Ellen should have taken it or should Steph have taken it. Steph is the most almost emotionless person in that team. She And that's why she's a great captain. She keeps her cool. And that's why they chose her as penalty takers. Because if there's one player who's going to step up and perform in that very intense situation, it's Steph Horton. Didn't happen this time, but doesn't mean that she wasn't still the right person. Three bad penalties in a row, though, for England. Paris's two before yes. the, the Horton one were not good. Is that something they need to look at, or is it just unluckiness? I think you're clutching at straws. I just, I just think we didn't do great on pens. I think Nikita had two bad pens. She got one away. <sighs> I just think it's one of those things. I don't think it's... I mean, of course, they'll probably have a look at it because you're right, on paper it doesn't look great. But I don't think we should be talking about England being in crisis over penalties. On, on the other hand, it, it's it's a perfect example of, uh, or indicator that we're now in some mainstream status here. If we are talking about England being bad at penalties, this is this is this is an <laughs> yes. age-old hang-up. It, it might sound tedious to a lot of people, but this is this is if England's women's football has arrived. If it, this is what Absolutely. we're analysing, absolutely, um, we love a pens chat. Don't yeah, we? yeah. And, uh, as as for Horton's penalty, she took a almost identical one in the Continental Cup. 
uh, final against Arsenal. And and she just hit that one much better. Yes. But that, so that was her technique. That's what she went for. And it just didn't work this time. But there's a real hang up about centre backs taking penalties. And as as she stepped up, the moment that she connected with that ball, my brain went Gareth Southgate. 1996. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly the same penalty. But if we are going down the line of, you know, you win some, you lose some, as Phil Neville said, taking penalties is a lottery then surely Paris, just because she'd missed two, should have stepped up. You know, if she's considered to be the team's top penalty taker, she should have stepped up and taken it. She said before the game that she would, um, but all players say that. Um, uh, And if you look at the two penalties that she missed, they were two brilliant saves. The Argentinian keeper, that's an incredible save. And then she she changed her mind for the next penalty and went in the other direction, and the keeper made an equally good save. Um, uh, So it's easy easy to say that she should have stepped up. The same for Ellen White, who who's taken big penalties this season for for Birmingham as well. Um, Again, there's no point in kind of reverse engineering this. Steph Horton's the captain. As you say, she has about as uh, ice-cold mentality as any of them. And uh, technique, you know, technically she's as as good as any other as well. She is as good as anyone. And the decision was decided, the decision was made before the game. Mm. That's it. There's no debate about whether you step up in that moment or not. It was decided before the game. She stepped up and took the pen and she missed. Absolutely. Let's leave the penalty chat there then and uh, move on to England as a whole. Who's impressed you most, Claire, from the England team in this tournament? I think two people. I mean, Ellen White, obvious answer. Um, I mean, she's a household name now, which is really incredible. Um, at the age and of 30. At the end, and mm. she stayed so calm under the increased media scrutiny as well. You know, you never know how you're going to react to that sort of pressure. I mean, I'm speaking as if I know from personal experience, tragically not. But, you know, she she hasn't cracked or shown any any signs of being flustered by that. And I think also we've got to have a special mention for Steph Horton because, um, as I'm sure some listeners know, she's had a very difficult personal situation where her husband was diagnosed with motor neurone disease shortly before the tournament and she's been caring for him. And I think she was considering not playing and he really encouraged her to and she has not shown any flicker of and you know not that she would necessarily let her personal business go onto the pitch but she's got an incredibly difficult situation there and all credit to her quite yep the chat before the tournament adam was that england wanted to win it they're going to end up finishing either third or fourth successful tournament or not for england uh, on a clinical level, uh, Neville, Neville, Phil Neville's minimum target from the FA was to reach the semi-finals. So he has ticked that box. So you, you can't call it a failure. I think he said before uh, before the game in, in his real tub-thumping kind of mode that if we don't win this tournament, it will, it will be yeah. a failure. And He didn't say it afterwards, though, did he? he? No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. Funnily enough. Um, yeah, and as you, as you alluded to earlier, that one of those Nevillisms, he... he walks the tightrope of professional earnestness during this tournament. Um <laughs> You could tell he was, and he he was visibly and admittedly loving doing the job. But it's just it's, there's too much management speak going on these days, and I just think, yeah, come on, just just lay, don't lay it on so thick. Um, England improved as the tournament went on. I think they they played well as a team. I think some individuals were quite underwhelming. Nikita Paris, who got a huge write up before the tournament, and big move before before the tournament began. I thought she, I thought she was really underwhelming. Penalties aside, I don't think she made a huge impact on the game. On the other on the other flank, you had Beth Mead, who flashes of brilliance, right yeah. foot, left foot. I mean, I remember the goal she scored against Brazil in the She Believes Cup, um, sort of rocketing into the top left corner with her right foot. So I, you know, I had her down as a flying right winger, and then during the tournament, she pops up on the left off left wing. Two incredible crosses for two goals: uh, Argentina and USA. Yeah. Uh, the goal, the cross for. Um, uh, for Ellen. Ellen, Ellen, absolutely yeah. perfect. It's one of those that were just made for an action replay. Yeah, but the thing about Beth Mead for me is that she 
she is a great player mm. and she's proven herself domestically and she's not a name that we all know and she's she she's got a lot more to offer but i thought she offered those moments but as a whole game performance mm. she didn't yep. do enough for me i'd actually picked out kira walsh as well who uh, shot the ball to um Beth to oh, then crossfield pass yes yeah. um, and and I think you know Kira in that USA game was offered a bit of space and I think that's certainly a player who I would be really interested to see what Phil can do with her now because you've got players like Karen Carney retiring today so we've got some of our old guard who will not play a lot after this tournament or or who will slowly move towards retirement so looking at players like Kira Walsh someone really exciting and I think she could be our Tobin Heath mm. you know that, that that kind of player who you don't expect to but finds these lovely pockets of space and Kira had a, you know a couple of really good shots she, she had a um, great shot on goal as well in during the tournament a couple of them and he just thought yeah if you're if you're given enough opportunity you could really bag some of those goals so 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 she's someone who I think you know potentially could be really exciting for England Let's remain looking forward, Kate. Where do England go from here? And is Phil Neville going to stick around for whatever comes next? Oh, yeah. He's t- I mean, Phil is signed up. Phil is signed up. He has Doing signed himself up. Well. Yeah. And, and, and interestingly, after the, US game, after the USA game, he was already talking about the Olympics. He was talking about a list of players that he's got that, he, that are young, you know, potential England stars. He said he'd sat down and he'd written this list. He'd spent a couple of hours looking at it. And I thought, gee whiz, that's, that's quite an admission to make after this game that you've spent time already over the past few days working out what's going to happen with the Olympics. Um, so he was looking forward. And that's, you know, a great managerial way of deflecting a little bit, isn't it, from the loss and from the failure line and moving on to the Olympics. But yeah, Phil is totally signed up. Olympics and then the Euros, which is a home Euros, which, you know, why on earth wouldn't you want to be in charge of the team? Exactly. And I think, you know, this is this is part of Phil's um, England plan, part of the FA's England plan. And do you know what? I think largely it's, it is going to plan. Do you think his plan is to fill the vacated waistcoat of Gareth Southgate eventually? You've got too many fills. Fill, fill the vacated. <laughs> no, fill to fill the live, va- live subbing here. Um, do I, I? I don't think he's even thinking about that now. I just, uh, I can't see that yet. I think, do you know what? I think Phil's really enjoying the attention and the buzz around the women's team. Totally he, he really Definitely. is. And, and he's also really enjoying that kind of, it sounds a bit cheesy, but that sort of fatherly role. His girls, his team. And I think, that can make the players cringe a little bit, but he kind of gets away with it. And I think as we're on this trajectory now for women's football, I think he wants to be a part of it. Because you know what? He will make his name in the game if he's part of this legacy, a big part of this legacy. There isn't the opportunity to do that. It's like asking... um, It's basically like asking Emma Hayes, who manages Chelsea women, whether she'd want the Chelsea job. And she would say to you, of course, that's a great opportunity, but how much time are you really going to give me in that Chelsea mm, job? Mm. How much time would England, would the England men's senior team give Phil Neville in that job? He wouldn't have nearly as much time. You know, this, this, is, a, this is a great gig for Phil Neville. I, I think, think, I think it, sorry, carry on. No, I was going to just chip in and say, I think you're right. I think he does want to be seen as a pioneer and this is a wonderful opportunity to do that. He gets away with the slight cheesiness because he also talks about, as well as raising the profile of the team, getting more women into football generally. Um, and you don't take on a job like that and leave it half done, do you? Has he won you over, Claire, I wonder? Because he's definitely said some questionable things in the past. Uh, do you think at this point his actions and what he said has atoned for that? Or, or have you still got your suspicions about No, him? I don't think I have, actually. I think he has atoned for it. Um, 
I think the way he's he's led the team, sure, we can nitpick over what he's the decisions he's made throughout the tournament, who he's brought on when and what. But I think in general, he's been a really good, whether it's personally motivated a bit or not, he's been a really good force for the team. Um, he's spoken out when he needed to. He's just about buttoned his lip at times when he needed to. <laughs> Maybe not after um, the Cameroon game, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought he was more controlled than I expected, actually. And okay. I thought what he said was very fair. Um, no, he's he's won me over and I think he will stick around to the end of the Euros. As, as you say, why wouldn't he want to when it's a home Euros? How exciting. Yeah. I think a crucial thing about Neville is we're not talking about a manager who's sort of mid-50s. He's had a sort of middling to failed uh, career in the men's game and he's, he's resorted to, to, to the England women's team. This is, this is a guy who who chose to take this avenue, not, not out of necessity because he wanted to do it. And as Kate says, this is where he's going to make his name. And um, so there's, there's no reason to suggest, one, that he won't be around for a, a home Euros and two, that he, he's eyeing this kind of this job as a stepping stone somewhere else. Um, it's, it's just a, he's just growing into the job really well. And I, I, I really like the way he spoke about his players. I think, I, I, again, I don't like his style generally when he's talking about games and game management and football matches and things like that. But the way he communicates with his players and and sort of talks with them at press conferences has been great. I really yeah. I like the light. And and you have to we had to accept that he had to grow into the role. Yeah. There are elements that he had to learn and there are technical things as well. He can't go into the dressing room immediately afterwards and things like that. And he hasn't made a huge deal out of that. He's accommodated those things. And I love that we've seen a bit of humor from Phil Neville as well because who knew that Phil had a quite a good sense of yeah. humor after the USA game coming on uh, onto the press conference and uh, looking at the Gatorade and offer and just saying I'd rather have a beer actually yeah. you know which which is which is exactly what is needed because if he was this an England men's manager would he've been able to get away with that having lost a semi-final no the, the, it's that kind of absurd kind of hothouse of bubble that they exist in that you just you can't get away with that sort yeah. of stuff and we've we've had him down as kind of the weedier Neville all these years but it turns out he's he's got a sort of lighter side and yeah, um, charisma yeah absolutely and um yeah he, he pitched himself very well most of the time I think 100% pro Neville here <laughs> in the audio recording system what about America Claire they were painted in some quarters as arrogant uh, they didn't seem to like that very much um do you get that sense from him, or do we need to be pressing our gendered nonsense button at this point in proceedings for some of the way that we've been talking about the American team? I think we do a little okay. bit. Is that an inevitable answer from the Telegraph's women? <laughs> it probably, probably is. Um, but look, I mean, all the criticism over their outrageous goal celebrations. I mean, as if nobody ever celebrated scoring a goal in the history of football. How did you feel about the cup of tea one? Because it wound oh. me up. I usually love a bit of aggressive cheek in football, but there was something about this that I just didn't enjoy. Oh, I didn't find it aggressive at all. I just thought, you know... If, if we're wanting equality in football, you've got to be able to take a little jibe like that on the chin. It wasn't like, um, you know, Jimenez donning, donning a Mexican wrestling mask in the <laughs> FA Cup semi-final against Watford, was it? I mean, that I found, I mean, that caused a ripple of controversy. And that I can see how that could be perceived as a little bit aggressive. I mean, it was a wrestling mask. Sipping a cup of tea. I mean, that's just a national and I, stereotype. I, and I don't even think it was aimed at the English. Sorry to dispel oh. all the myths. But we had some information from Team USA, bit of secret inside info. Um, she kind of said, well, if you want it to be about the English, then it's about the English afterwards. Mm-hmm. But actually, um, I think it was a reference um, to um, all the equality stuff that's going on in the USA. And we forget that, that the USA women's team are suing their national federation for equal pay and equal bonuses. Um, and um, we we were told it was much more about that equality argument than it was about 
tea and because the English drink tea. There's that famous meme, isn't there, of Kermit drinking tea. Mm. Someone said, could it be about the Boston Tea Party? I think Alex Morgan's kind of let us believe that it might be about us. And that's and that's the American confidence, isn't it? They're like, well, if well, if you want to make that about you, fine, go for it. But um, I, we actually hear that it, it actually wasn't aimed at England. I see. So you so, can calm down. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've regained my composure. So what about it is... Uh, is uh, to be honest, on, on I don't. Point, I like, don't well, actually know. Probably you'd have to ask Megan. But it was some. I, I, I have no idea apart from that it was something more about the American team in general and about the fight for equality than it was perhaps to do with this Kermit meme. I don't know, but it wasn't. It wasn't a dig at England. I think as a, as a wider point about their supposed um, ob- objectionable arrogance um, in a sporting context, this is just a number one team acting like a number one team. Um, we wouldn't bat an eyelid if if the leading men's team behaved like that because it, it's just controlled, focused arrogance. Arrogance is a key aspect to elite sport. That's what you need to be. You need to be incredibly strong-minded. And uh, if that involves, you know, celebrating the thirteenth goal against Thailand, or or you know, reportedly tapping into a very beige stereotype about English people, then that's absolutely fine. I mean, confidence is how you win sport, right? Yeah. 100%. And yeah. forward planning, you know, gr- all the grumblings, they'd booked their hotel rooms for the final already. I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how you've got necessity. somewhere to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought, I mean, I mean, I thought that was a bit cheeky. The whole going into the England team hotel and checking it out for the final, I thought yeah. was, was perhaps a little bit cheeky. But the, the, the USA just genuinely believe, they have a belief in their team. It's not that they think they're going to win every match, it's just they don't entertain that they might lose it. They I just got, don't entertain it. I got that distinct vibe from Hope Solo's um, punditry in the BBC. She's, she's been sort of quietly, icily brutal throughout the whole tournament. Mm. But she, she basically betrays the sporting psychology of being a, a US sports person, which is you have to win. Uh, and if if you don't win, then expect to win next time. Uh, yeah. And and it just pervades the whole team. I think. And look at Corey Goff at Wimbledon. Mm. You know, the fifteen year old American who beat Venus Williams, doing so well. I mean, there is nothing unfeminine in believing that you no. should be the best and can be the best. And I think perhaps you deem it as a success or a failure. I don't know if you've got Piers Morgan calling them, you know, a bunch of brash, cocky, taunting prima donnas. All right, I'm on this side. Yeah. <laughs> Any more adjectives from Piers? But, yeah, exactly. But they back it up <laughs> by performing on the pitch, and I think you can totally get away with all of this if you're going to back it up with your performances and my god they backed it up you know people have asked who the main rival is for team usa and actually historically it's always been japan but actually i think this team's main rival ironically is the 1999 world cup winning side when brandy chaston has that famous iconic picture which made it onto the front of sports illustrated where she's on her knees and she bears takes off her top and bears her sports bra. And that's when America fell in love with women's football. And I think if you want to know who Team America, who the USA team are wanting to be, where they aim, they they look at that 1999 team, Mia Hamm, several other brilliant, brilliant icons in uh, American football in that team. And that's what they want to emulate. They want to emulate a national love, a national pride, a national ownership. That's what this current USA team want. And that will give you confidence if you're not comparing yourself to any of your peers. Yeah. You're comparing yourselves to yourselves. Yes. Mm. 
peers, peers, not peers. Not, yeah, exactly. Not We've got to be clear about that. Uh, finally, Kate, what about Megan Rapinoe? Why wasn't she playing in the semi and are we expecting her back for the final? Well, she said she had a um, muscle strain. In fact, let me just find the actual thing for, that Megan said afterwards. Um, here we go, hamstring. So she said afterwards that my hamstring is day-to-day, but I feel like I'll be ready for the final. When you're on the bench, you need to be hyped for the team and give them energy and get those vibes out there. So she didn't take part, did she, in the pre-match warm-up. We all thought it was tactical from Jill Ellis and I was harping on Twitter about how this might ruin women's football. You know, is it fair that all these kids that have tuned in to watch this game can't see Megan Rapinoe because she's the reason why. You know, she's the person, by the way, after the tea drinking thing, she was asked about it and her response was, wah, wah, wah. I mean, literally, <laughs> that's what she said to a reporter. I think that's the exact noise when, I was making. When asked about the tea drinking. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, so it, so it was apparently hamstring related, but Jill Ellis admitted afterwards that if it come to pens, she would have bought her on. And actually, I think if the game hadn't gone... Um, in USA's favour, and if they was if it gone to extra time and they were struggling, I totally think she would have bought Megan Rapinoe on. Um, so, to all intents and purposes, she's apparently fine for the final. Um, perhaps there was a bit of tactical stuff there, but yeah, it was hamstring related. Look forward to women's football being unruined this Sunday. <laughs> You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's look back on a slightly less exciting semi-final now. Holland won Sweden nil after extra time. Great finish from Gronen to win it for the Netherlands, but it was quite a low-key affair, wasn't it, Kate? Uh, England can at least call themselves the winners in the best semi-final competition. Low-key's kind, by the way. (laughs) Low-key's a really kind way of telling us that it was a boring match. Sorry, but it was dull. Neither team looked like they wanted to win it. It was so frustrating to watch because you had to remind yourself that you were watching a World Cup semi-final and neither team looked bothered. The Netherlands are so Dutch in appearing not to care, not to really want it, and then winning anyway. Mm. They, they're just so... I mean, that that is the Holland team, this tournament. That's that's exactly what they've been like. It had to go to extra time. And you know what? It was the game that we really didn't want an extra 30 minutes of. We really didn't. It was annoying, frustrating to watch. They just... Each team tired themselves out. There was barely any chances created. There was a zillion corners. There was no fight from either team. I, I can't even give you, apart from Jackie Gronin's moment, and thank God she scored that because she was told that she, that she should be taking a lot more shots. She, she basically should be putting herself in that position rather than sacrificing herself for the sake of the team. Um, uh, apart from that moment, I, I honestly, Tom, I, I can't tell you much more about it because it passed in a big blur of boredom. In, in- some ways they were lucky to get that far because I mean, there was one save around the hour mark, Van Veenendaal, who sort of she was fingertips good actually. onto the, the post. That, 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 yeah. that was probably the best save I've seen yeah. in the tournament so far. Yes. So those are the sort of moments that World Cup semi-finals kind of hinge on. So, you know, I'm not saying they were lucky to get that far necessarily, but it could well have been that they didn't get to extra time and that goal didn't go in. So though, on those margins, World Cup semi-finals are decided. Should we take it as a heartening sign that it was such a damp squib and there always is one? Because obviously if we remember the USA versus Thailand, there was such criticism about that not being a level playing field that there was such gridlock in the semi-final. Is that a good marker of equality? I, I, I maintain this for pretty much any bad game of football I ever see is that no, no game of football, whatever, whatever standard, whatever stage, whatever 
part of the tournament has no right to be a good game of football. There are so many variables at play that um, we just we don't have a right to be entertained by a football game. And uh, I think you had two teams there who who weren't necessarily expected to get that far. So there could be an element of stage fright about it. I just don't know. But there there are just so many things that go on to build a good football game that they they just didn't all stack up there. But um, I th- and I think I agree with you. It's good. That a, that a tournament has this kind of mixed bag of, of games because that's what football tournaments should be like. The Netherlands did look absolutely exhausted at the end of this one. Are they going to pick themselves up for the final? They're going to need to, aren't they? I mean, it almost felt like they were trying to conserve their energy during the game because they weren't <laughs> going for it. It just wasn't a physical, fast-paced game at all. Were they trying to conserve their energy? I think probably because they maybe didn't expect to get this far. Um, I think maybe they weren't thinking about the final at all. They were thinking about getting through this game and and maybe wondering how they would do it and spent 90 minutes wondering how they would do it and then, you know, came up trumps in extra time. Um, Yeah, I don't necessarily think that they were thinking about conserving energy um, and it doesn't bode particularly well for the final, does it? Because the USA have kind of got it already and and I hate saying that because it's still a game of football anything could still happen um the I guess the only thing is players like Miedemar Vivian Miedemar not great in the semi no but you know what she's never that great sorry to break the illusion she's never that great she pops up and scores at the right time she doesn't like training there was a great picture (laughs) of her training with the team before the game and I was sat there with um sat watching the game with one of her Arsenal colleagues and she burst out laughing because all the all the uh, Dutch players were on exercise bikes, you know. And uh, Vivian was sat on like a little dumbbell thing and she just laughed and she said, <laughs> that is Viv, that is vintage Viv. Um, so, yeah, so look, she has the ability, as long as she gets the service, to just pop up and get crucial goals. So never, never, never count out Miedemar for that. But the point, I think, is is that if that team are not more physically pressing, the USA are just going to be all over them in a very short space of time. And we've seen this kind of 12-minute 12, 12 stat, right? Mm. The USA have scored in the first 12 minutes of every game in this tournament, and they've gone on to win that win the game as well. So look, the, the, the Dutch have to be really careful of that because the USA are going to physically, forcefully take that game and ask the Dutch to provide an answer. And they would be stupid not to because an extra day's rest. And the US are pretty relentless anyway. Do you buy that, the extra day's rest? Do you think that's I do at this stage of a tournament. And given the heat and all that sort of stuff and uh, the fact that the Dutch went to extra time as well. um, And and you just look at the USA's strength in depth. I mean, they supposedly, nominally, have injury worries. They have... uh, Rapinoe's hamstring, Rosa Lavelle did her hamstring against England yeah, as well, which did. appears to be more serious. But then they can bring in someone like Kristen Press, who is just superb, and not just because of the goal, but um, she came in to do a very specific job as well defensively. Um, so their options far outweigh the Dutch. So you throw in an extra day of, of rest, I just too much. Come on, Claire, give us some hope. Give us some hope for Holland. Oh, let's, let's try and make this not seem like the four-goal conclusion that it really looks I don't like know if is. I can, Tom. I mean, the Dutch have been talking that up a bit. They've already said, oh, you know, we're used to being the underdogs and, oh, actually, we don't think the US have been that good. But come <laughs> on. I mean, they've beaten, you know, the two tournament favourites, arguably. They have been tested. They've had an extra day's rest. I'm actually going to be in Amsterdam on Sunday and I do think I might be drowning my sorrows oh. with, the, with the Dutch. Is there anyone in the Netherlands team that the USA have to be particularly worried about? Kate, will they have any special plans for anyone? Or at this point, is it just going to be, we are going to crush this team and have our will over them? I mean, when Shanice van der Sanden came on, 
<laughs> looking quite quite crazy. I, I, I did a screen grab on my phone and I sent it to my French friend because she <laughs> Shanice Van der Sanden is it's just nuts. She's she's she she dyed her hair pink for this one. She's loads of makeup on, big bright lipstick, and it was just like she just. She 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 kind of looked how she played. She she looked very forceful. She definitely made an impact visually and when she came on. And so there is a burst of energy that that you know that you could potentially get from her and and she she came off the bench which was one of the changes the Dutch made for the for the game against the Sweden having really not made many changes at all. They've they've made a few defensive changes because of injury earlier on in the tournament but you know uh, Weigman, the Dutch coach, really hadn't rotated her players at all and arguably doesn't have the players to be able to rotate with. Um, I, I mean, look, Miedemar, you, you know, she has this habit of just hanging around. And if she's given the service, she will, you know, more often than not, um, she will oblige. Um, a lot of the Netherlands goals, well over 50% have come from headers. So the USA will need to be careful of that, be careful of the aerial threat. But I think the USA will have read up on that. Um, and I don't think that they'll be worried. And of course, the Netherlands are kind of talking that underdog game. But you normally talk about that when you're trying to heap pressure on the opposition because they're the favourites, because the nation's expecting, the world's expecting. The USA brush pressure off their shoulders like it's a small speck of dandruff. They don't care. Is there any precedence for anyone doing a job on the USA team, like getting behind the ball and hitting them on the break? Or, or are they just too good for that sort of tactic? When you talk about hitting them on the break, you know... that. The Dutch are kind of the wrong team to talk about that. Uh, they just they, they don't. I mean, they, they they certainly haven't shown that yet. Look, maybe maybe they're fooling us. Maybe we get to see the next level Dutch team at this final. I doubt it, but it is a possibility because for me, they certainly haven't played at a hundred percent in this tournament so far. Whether that extra percentage is there, I, I really can't tell you because you'd have thought that you'd have seen it in that semi final. Only the second final to be contested by two female coaches, Claire. Uh, we've obviously spoken a lot about how important it is for younger women to see women playing football. There's also something to be said, presumably, for seeing role models on the side of the pitch as well, taking charge of the teams. Yes, there. of course there is. And seeing any women in any position in the game of football is a positive thing, whether that's a manager, whether that's a referee, whether it's a medic, um, or whether it's a lioness. You know, I think it's incredibly inspiring. No, it's great. It's great there's two women coaches. Um, and, and Jill Ellis, I think, has really made her presence felt, actually, during this tournament. Um, Portsmouth-born Jill Ellis. <laughs> so we can claim her for ourselves. We can. Well, she doesn't want to be claimed. She... <laughs> that, but, but it's actually the Telegraph's Luke Edwards that has had a real bee in his bonnet about this, hasn't he? He's, 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 he's been to a couple of press conferences with Jill Ellis and kind of laid on the, the English connection. I think, I think it surprised her the first time because she sort of bit bit back at him but when he asked her again um, she was a bit more prepared for the answer but I know that um, Luke Edwards has been doing a great job of trying to wind up Jill Ellis. Crush the saboteur <laughs> is what I say. Adam what about the third place playoff England versus Sweden are you up for it? Is it going to be exciting and what's going to happen? I'm not up for it. Uh, <laughs> and, Has there ever been a good third place no, playoff? No, no history, never, never will back me up. history backs up my indifference here. It, um, it, it's, it's a box-ticking exercise. It's a formality for the tournament. Um, I, I'll stop short of saying it shouldn't exist because, you know... Um, uh, can, I, can I butt in here and yeah? say that in 2015, England took home the bronze medal because of that game and they played Germany and they beat Germany. Germany, who clearly were not bothered and didn't turn up for the game and that's nothing against England's performance. Exactly, yeah. But England 
deserved that bronze medal after the heartbreak against Japan oh. in the semis and the own goal and the Laura Bassett thing. They totally deserved that game and they needed that game so that their tournament didn't finish mm. on a complete horrible, awkward downer. Also, that- we need that game so we can do Lucy Bronze as our headline. Yes, again. No, there's, there's, there is there's a proud history. It could of, be a win-win. There's, there's a proud history of a catharsis about finishing third when, if, you, if you win that game. But it lacks... That, that's a, a third of the appeal of it. It lacks the, the other two-thirds, which is the anticipation. There is no build-up to a third-place playoff. And fundamentally, the game is just a procession. But there is one crucial aspect to this game. Ellen White for the golden boot. Yes. Mm. Um, she'll start, I, I, would, I would expect. Um, and uh, she's tied with Alex Morgan for the moment. Yeah, I think it'd be brilliant because Ellen White, for me, is a proper striker. Um, you know, a spearhead, good finisher. And she's had two crucial ligament injuries... And mm. finally earned a big move at the age of thirty. Then off to the World Cup to finish to finish top scorer. That's that's a yeah. re- that's a story. That's, that's she a story. Is, she's the first English player to score in five consecutive World Cup games. Um, she was told by Phil before the tournament to stop moving so much to basically hang yeah. around in that final yeah. third a lot, lot more. And my God, it's paid off. She she still puts the hard yards in though. I've never she seen does. her hair after a, a opposing centre half like she does. And yeah. that's again, that's you know, yeah. it may be the Englishman in me, but that's what I want to see from my centre forward. Just one more thing on this bronze medal match. Um, England do not deserve for their World Cup to be over with that USA defeat. Although there's there is no shame in that defeat at all. I really want this for England. I was in two minds about whether England were going to do a Germany in twenty fifteen and just kind of turn up because they had to but I actually think in these last few days they would have had time to to collect their ambition again Mm. to collect that winning mentality again and say okay well if we're out of the World Cup we're going to go out in the best possible way and so I think England will and I I really hope so really will try and win this game really try and take the game and if like Tom Tom, we're thinking in headlines you know how sweet would it be for England to win bronze now and then when they win Olympic gold Oh, lovely, yes. lovely. <laughs> She's already board. thinking ahead, I like that. Me and Phil Neville thinking yes, ahead. Yes, yes. <laughs> Finally, Jonathan Pierce was criticised for repeatedly referencing Bruce Springsteen during the Netherlands-Sweden game earlier this week. Our question to you all is, what is the strangest piece of commentary you've ever heard? Kate also. Can I can I celebrate Jonathan Pierce a, li- a little bit more? Okay, I'm 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 very here for this, as the children say, because <laughs> I think he's been quite good and I've heard lots of people disagreeing with me. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe yeah. I'm not here for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't know. He, he's he's good and bad in equal spades. Okay. He's he's great sometimes, and other times you're just like, shut up! Like I, I don't want to hear about a player's height again. Like why why, why are you telling me how tall that player? Like one meter, da da da, or whatever it is, sixty four, seventy two, and you're like, yeah, okay, thanks. What about that's... the sort of uncle jokes with Sue Smith, where he's been like, oh. You'd know all about being late, wouldn't you, Sue? Mr. Minibus yeah. this morning. <laughs> yeah. I, absolutely yeah. loves that. I love that, and I really love Sue Smith. And Sue Smith deals with him really well, yes. by the way. Sue's, Sue's brilliant. His hashtag fanboy during this USA game, and then admitting that he didn't know what hashtag fanboy was, <laughs> I thought was a brilliant moment. Um, I, I cringe a bit when like Steph goes up to take a pen and he says, you know, a remarkable captain, a remarkable human being. You know, and you're a bit like, oh, it's a little bit labouring it on a little bit. And the and the sweaty night slippery hands. Oh comment. my goodness! <laughs> yeah. I, 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 someone on Twitter said that that left them feeling sterile. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Is that yeah. your strangest piece of commentary? Yes, all of those. Wow, good, good answers, Claire. What's the strangest piece of commentary you've ever heard? It's not a specific 
piece of commentary, but I thought well, if we're talking about this World Cup, the um, the sort of general bemusement, male bemusement over Marta's red lipstick is the one thing that will really stay with me. People didn't know how to handle it. Sort of, some men were trying to call it dramatic and bold, <laughs> and I really, I really enjoyed all the awkwardness around it. It, it reminded me of when um, last year I think our politicians in uh, the House of Commons had to say the word tampon. Neither, of, none of them could quite get to it, and I, you know all the bling that our male footballers have on and their brightly coloured boots. It just struck me as a really awkward sort of don't know how to handle it moment. Mm. She did rock some serious lipstick. And it was all part of a deal with Avon as well, by the way. So it wasn't a big statement or anything else. It was just because, you know, she'd foregone some boot sponsorship, so she went for some Avon sponsorship instead. Yeah, why Why not? not? Adam, weirdest piece of commentary. Surely you've got a fantastic answer. Well, I I know you you know I think about this a lot because this is my thing. But um, actually, it's Jonathan Pearce, in fact. Um, uh, last season in the Premier League, he he finally he finally obviously got to use this line after months of desperate hoping to use it. Charlie Daniels got his one and only goal of the season for Bournemouth, and uh, Jonathan Pierce. Uh, so he was referencing Bruce Springsteen the other day. He went more obscure. He went with the Charlie Daniels band, which I believe are an obscure bluegrass band. And uh, when Charlie Daniels scored on match of the day, Jonathan Pierce said, "Fire in the mountain, run, boy, run! The devil's in the house of the Bournemouth Sun." And nobody knew what he was talking about <laughs> because it's the Charlie Daniels band and no one listens to them. Amazing. Um, yeah. a, a deep cut. I think their Spotify listens are about to go through the roof. <laughs> That's your lot for this week on Audio Football Club. We'll be back with you on Monday after the Women's World Cup final. And sad news, podcast fans, it's our last episode of the season. You can, of course, contact me on Twitter before then if you'd like to, at Tom with an H Gibbs. Send us an email as well. Why not? AFC Podcast at telegraph.co.uk is the address. We will read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. Get yourself in the front of the queue for next season's episodes. And Monday, of course, it's going to be good. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.